0: Hi guys, welcome to the Body Power Mind podcast with me, Adam Robinson. Today, we talk with Dr. Ebony Escalona about shifting the mindset to help you achieve a more successful and fulfilling life. So let's learn, let's apply, and let's inspire. Let's do it. Ebony, um, you are an equine vet and have been for many years now. Um, Did that spark appear very early on in your life or did it come a bit later on?
1: Oh, the spark appeared when I was about six. Um, And yeah, I was obsessed. Well, I was obsessed with, with animals in general and yeah, sat on my first horse about that age and yeah, and became kind of transfixed with the grace and athleticism and yeah, just totally obsessed with them. But for some reason, I had vets stuck in my mind very young. Yeah,
0: yeah. So why why do you think you were so drawn to to horses in in general?
1: Um, I was drawn to all animals. I actually wanted to be a, a zoo vet uh, and work with wildlife uh, originally, um, uh, and I didn't actually want to be a horse vet. But I, you know, a bit like I said, horses for me, just the relationship we've had with them over the years, over the de- you know over the centuries, is just so powerful. And I think that bond between a horse uh and a human is 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 quite emotive really. If you think about it, we've domesticated something that is you know a ton of a ton of meat and is pretty powerful and actually pretty dangerous um uh and I just find them to be the most wonderful mirrors you know you can't You can't fake emotion with them they read they read you well um so so working with them you know in a job is just uh, a real privilege really it's It's a lot harder being the vet uh because actually you're often dealing with them when they're painful and being prey animals that makes life a bit difficult but um yeah i was just kind of in awe of them and i think in awe of what they've done for us as a as a as a species you know as a human species
0: yeah i um i agree with that actually and you know i've i've never really um been one for having a horse as a um, domestic pet or anything like that, but I can see um, how how powerful that that connection is between a, a human and a horse. It's it's totally different um, to you know say a, a human and a dog, human and a cat. Um, it it just seems so different.
1: Yeah, it is. It's and it's. It's. it's, I. I find it very emotive. Like I can't even watch like the Lloyd's advert without crying. Like I just find. find If I watch the Olympics and I watch the show jumping, or I don't really watch much racing, but yeah, any any kind of feat where that animal is 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 working at its top form, I just find. I just find stunning i think that's the i think i think that's the best way to capture them they are graceful and they are stunning and they are true athletes and i know you know you know i know you're you you appreciate the the athletic mind and the athletic form and i think the horse is probably one of the finest mammals or the finest animals to showcase that that phenotype
0: oh i agree yeah yeah 100 percent um so the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, you've you've done a PhD, um, which in your own words were, it uh, was actually the hardest personal hurdle of your life. Um, can you just talk us through that journey?
1: Yeah. Wow. So I've always been one to kind of, I've always been comfortable, I guess, stepping outside of my comfort zone. I've always been told and, and knew quite young in my age that, you know, that's where the magic happens if you do push yourself. Um, I was a bit of I was at a bit of a career crossroads and and a and a a very good mentor of mine, Professor Proudman, just said, you know, why don't you do a PhD? And it wasn't really something on my radar. But I was so interested in horses, like I've I've said, and I was so interested in the influence of of gut health on, on whole animal health. And this amazing PhD kind of came up at Imperial College. Now, in hindsight, um, And what I tell other people, if they're thinking about going into PhDs, you've really got to be passionate about that subject. If you want to spend three or four years, you know, doing it, Uh, I suppose what I hadn't realized because it was quite early on in my career is how lonely that um, that kind of um, experience would be and how never ending the list of things to do um, kind of was. So the mountain was just huge and I couldn't even see the first step um, with it. Um, being um, an ambitious and full of pride, uh, too proud kind of person, I found it really hard to ask for help because I thought, well, I'm a vet. I should be able to fix this. I'm a vet. I should be able to, you know, do this. I'm, I'm intelligent. I should be able to understand this. And it was literally like being thrown into the ocean, um, thrown into the ocean without, um, you know, without, with my hands tied behind my back trying to figure out this incredibly difficult science um, and also trying to kind of impress and and kind of form relationships with a brand new team in a brand new city. Um, So people say, you know, PhDs are, are often as much a personal kind of feat as they are a scientific one. And for me, uh, I I found it personally very, very difficult. I ended up actually having one of my first bouts of of pretty bad clinical depression that later on um, I was diagnosed with type two bipolar, which made a lot of sense later. But that was quite a hard thing to do when you're kind of on your own. Um, Yes, you have a team, but essentially you're doing that you're doing that course you're doing that program you're doing that science on your own and I found that uh, excruciatingly difficult and taught me so many lessons about myself um well well and above over any of the science that I did um and a mindset was a massive part of that
0: so w- when you were diagnosed with bipolar did you did you approach things differently from then on like how did that affect you
1: oh at first I just didn't want to I didn't want to know um I hate kind of saying this out loud, but uh, it's true. And I think you've got to be honest. <laughs> well, I used to think that people who had depression or mental health had too much time on their hands. That was the prejudice I used to carry around with me, um, which is awful. And I, and it sounds awful saying it out loud. And I obviously don't believe that anymore. Uh, so when I kind of experienced that incredible low, it was so, you know, the expression, the rug pulled from under your feet. That was the best way to describe it, really. I I just didn't I just didn't feel like it was happening to me. And then the diagnosis, although in some sense is helpful because it meant, OK, there is something maybe different about me that needs support. I also still had that personal um, self-stigma, you know, self-prejudice about, about it. So I actually didn't tell anyone for absolutely, um, didn't tell anyone for absolutely years that I had it. Um And only later when I realized, actually, it's something that I can own and it's something that I can help control. And when the more I kind of spoke about it, the more I realized, even within my own research group, as soon as I kind of opened up so many other people, and I'm not exaggerating, like every other person opened up and said, oh, yeah, well. I've also had time off for this, you know, when I was doing my PhD, I also had time off for um, anxiety or, or depression, you know, while I was doing, you know, a piece of work. So I realised then I wasn't alone. And once you realise that you're not alone and it's not a failure um, to sometimes crumble, um, yes, that diagnosis then helped me own it. But it took it took years to do that.
0: Yeah, so it's not something that happens overnight. You have to work and work at it. Is that is that what you mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've been through this huge journey yourself. Um how long did it actually take to complete the, the PhD?
1: Oh, so it's supposed to be done in like three years. And I actually took it I actually it actually took me about four and a half, five years. Partly um partly because I had to have a little bit of time off for myself. But unfortunately my mother got super sick. With breast cancer, part way through, so I actually took eighteen months off to look after her. Um, and in the touch wood, she's she's fine now. But yeah, that that took a long time. But actually, you know, I think there's silver linings to these things. It gave me the time to reflect, which I don't think we give ourselves enough time to do anyway. Uh, so it allowed me to kind of subconsciously sort a lot of stuff out. Um, and yeah, gave me the breathing space to think. And if I think about, you know, if I was being a clinical equine vet at that time, I would never have been able to take the time off to care for a family member. So there's, you know, there's positives in that, in those research roles that you can can kind of press pause and press play when you need. And I think that's, I mean, you know, despite it being a very difficult time in my life, I'm very, very grateful that the, you know, the university and my funding body said, of course, you can take time out. We'll just press pause for you. And there's very few careers you can do that for.
0: Yeah, so um, obviously that must have been a very, very difficult time, but you've, you know, you 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 got through that period, um, which was hard, and you pulled out the the positives from it, which was, um, you know, which is, I can imagine it was very, very hard to do that at the time as well. Um, so, um, you know, you've, you've completed your PhD, you've done much, much more since then as well. Um, and one thing I wanted to talk about is um, Vets Stego Diversify, which is... Um, a, a platform um, which you've actually created. Can you just talk us uh, through this as well?
1: Yeah. So um, um, the vet profession, as you know, as you've been in it, um, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful space, but it's not without its challenges and its risks. Um, it's full of people who care deeply about what they do, and it's full of people who are very ambitious as, as well, and 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 have perfectionist traits and want to get things. Get things right. Unfortunately, when you when you get released into the big, bad world of veterinary, um, it's anything but certain and it's anything but perfect. Um, and that can be really, really difficult. We also don't run in a system you know, like the NHS. We have lots and lots of kind of different independent um, uh, avenues to kind of go down with regards to our career um, trajectories and ladders. Um, and I think for individuals who've always been jumping through hoops and getting rewards and getting good grades, uh, it can be quite demoralizing when you're kind of released out there and there isn't kind of clear paths for you to do to to do the things that you want to do or, or become the things that you want to become. And I was noticing I'm, I'm 10 years out now. So, you know, about three years ago, I was noticing so many of my peers and colleagues kind of saying, oh, I just feel a bit stuck. Um, you know, I'm not challenged anymore. Or I'm, I'm too stressed or um, I'm finding the work difficult or, you know, um, I'm not sure what to do. Uh, and a lot of them leaving the profession, which I think is incredibly sad. <laughs> Um unfortunately some people also um find it incredibly difficult and they, they don't you know they don't want to be on this planet anymore and they they found it far too hard to, to work and that professional identity of that vet um comes at price sometimes. And so I wanted to Create a space where we could all um, feel less alone and showcase all the awesome stuff that you can do with a veterinary passport or a vet passport, as I I like to call it, or or a VM for Vet Nurse Passport. Um, So I wanted to create a a community where we could talk about it. We could share our grievances, but more so talk about actually the actions that we could take, the people that we could connect with. Um, And our tagline is kind of explore potential together. Um, So it's about, yeah. Connecting, exploring, and developing—you know—different career paths because uh, it is an amazing profession, and we can go in. You know, we can go in so many wonderful directions. Um, and it's kind of gone from zero to just shy of thirteen thousand in, in 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 three years. And it's in it's a global community, so people all across the globe come and contribute via uh, podcasts like this, via uh, career. Uh, Facebook Live interviews, anonymous posting—you name it. It's 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 kind of owned and and run and and kind of made rich by the community that contribute.
0: That's incredible. One thing I wanted to talk about as well was the I've, I've heard you talking a lot about a portfolio career. Um, can you just explain this to us as well?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I never planned on having one. Um, so a portfolio career is is uh, really about. You know, having um, a career that has a a suite of different products or roles within it. So, for instance, I can kind of classify classify myself as having kind of three things within my portfolio. I'm an equine vet. I'm an educator and I'm an entrepreneur. So I do some clinical work. I do a lot of educational work and I also consult and support um, other kind of startups within the veterinary field as well. Um, So a portfolio career. Can be anything really, um, as long as it has kind of a suite of different things or different projects that you do. Uh, We're kind of moving towards, you know, across professions. This is not just veterinary. We're very much moving into kind of a gig economy where people are going freelance and picking the kind of things that they want to do. Um, It's pretty rare now for people to stay in one career in a lifetime. We'll probably move through five, six or seven, seven careers and not even jobs like careers within a lifetime now. So it's kind of reflecting, I guess, the needs of individuals, but also the landscape of society um, as we change and maybe our priorities shift as well. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of people are kind of embracing that within veterinary. And I like to call a lot of them stay versifiers. So having one foot in clinics, but also doing other things on the side, be that writing, creating art, um, having fitness companies, uh, you name it being coaches
0: yeah so it's I, I think i think you're right there i think it's it's so much easier as well nowadays to to do what you want to do i guess you know we can we we can link with anywhere around the world we can travel anywhere we want to go um life is just e- easier in that respect i guess um whereas it's harder in other ways um you know i i've been one myself where i left school and just went straight into a job which i didn't like um so i went into another job which i didn't like so i went into another job which i didn't like and i just kept bouncing from job to job because i wasn't sure what i wanted to do and the 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 best thing i ever did for myself um was become you know self-employed become my own boss and it 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 gives you the freedom to do what you want to do. And like you say, you can create a portfolio from it. You know, you can, I started, you know, I still am a personal trainer. And from that, I started doing classes. And from that, I started doing, you know, this podcast and a website and fitness programs and all sorts of different things. So I think it's um, a big, big thing now. And I think it's something that helps, uh, has definitely helped me personally as well.
1: Exactly. And it allows you to stay kind of, curious and to experiment and to see what fits and to work out that kind of sweet spot which is doing things you're good at that you enjoy that other people will pay you for and that's that sweet spot there and that's what you can create within that portfolio career because maybe some of the things in that suite of services that you run are more hobby or more pro bono and then other things will have higher value that will allow you to do the things you know to bring in the income, so yeah, I always kind of say to people, well, think about what you're good at, that you enjoy, because there's a lots of things we're good at that we might not enjoy, um, and then think, right, well, what would people pay me for? What is a value to other people? What can I contribute or provide value to to other individuals, other organisations, other professions? Um, and it's finding that that sweet spot, which never is found overnight. I've been kind of r- randomly creating this career over the last three to four years. Um, and now I'm becoming more intentional with it. But before it was very much about just following my nose. Oh, I enjoy that. Right. I'll try that. Oh, I enjoy that. Oh, I'll I'll try that.
0: Yeah, I think that that's it, isn't it? It's, it's just about being like, you say, being curious all the time and never, n- n- never needing to settle, I guess, I think is another thing. You know, I think everyone thinks they have to live a certain way in a certain lifestyle. They have to get a job, you know, do everything. Textbook. And then, you know, eventually it comes to the end of our lives without sounding too morbid. But, you know, I, th- I think people are scared to venture out of that box as well. Um, but, with, you know, which, which, which brings me on to my next question, really. Um, I mean, if if someone does have a passion um, and they, they know that living it day in, day out will make them happy. Why don't they just go and do it?
1: Oh, the fear. The fear. We are we are full of fear. We we have fear of the unknown. We have fear of not having enough finance. We have a fear of what people will think of us. We have a fear of failure. Um, It's all fear driven, and and it, it kind of fits into two two sets in two kind of camps in my mind you can either choose to look at something through a lens of scarcity so that's all the fear stuff we've just spoken about or you can look at it through a lens of abundance and go well what if I did that well you know if I did that then it could lead to this um so yeah I think fear fear is a huge thing and laziness I think
0: yeah I think um laziness is a big one as well, isn't it? I think I think like you said at the start you know you're you're quite you're quite um comfortable with stepping out of your comfort zone, you're okay with that um and I think the majority of people probably aren't um because they're quite happy being in their comfort zone, they're quite happy with you know not progressing too much of their life because they're comfortable just where they are
1: but if they're happy, then that's great like sometimes I wish I wasn't so driven. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes actually there is also, I'm channeling, I'm actually challenging myself this year to find joy in simplicity. So how can I find joy in simplicity in the things I do have rather than always thinking about the things I don't have or the things that I could build or the things that I might want. Um, So I think, I think it's, I think it's a real balance there. I, I, you know, I think it's great to take risks and I think it's great to try new things. And I think it's great to push the envelope, but it's equally as important to look around you and go, man, I'm lucky. You know, yeah, you know, even the simple things like, man, I've got a roof over my head. I've got a running water. I've got, you know, I've got a light switch. Um, and having worked in in low to middle income countries, I can tell you that is that we are privileged. And so sometimes you just have to remind yourself to be kind of grateful for the stuff that you do have.
0: Yeah, I was, I was talking about this the other day and, I, I, you know, I, I sort of brought up um, the topic the, the same as you did there, where you said, you know, you wish you. Um, could just sort of not be as driven and not want to achieve bigger things. And, you know, it, I was talking about the same thing. I, I was doing a personal training session and they started talking about Game of Thrones. And um, I I can't, I, I don't watch series. Or I just don't feel like I have time. So they were talking about it and then someone else in the gym heard it and they were just like almost not laughing at me, but just laughing because I'd never watched, a, never watched an episode. And um it, it, yeah, it just made me think. Like, wow, I just, I just wish I could sit down sometimes and just switch off. But it's it's hard.
1: Yeah, but well, I think it's important to just sometimes. I think sometimes I think we don't give ourselves enough time just to like digest. You know, look around and digest and go. Well done. Like this is okay. You know, today you can just sit here and tomorrow you can you can strive for the next thing. But how about just digesting what's around you? I don't do that enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, if if someone is sort of teetering on the edge of making uh, that first step into their new journey, what advice would you give them?
1: What advice would I give them? Oh, there's so much. Where shall I start? Um, I think the first thing is environment is so important, and by environment, I mean where are you going to be doing this thinking and this doing of this next step. Uh, Is it an environment and a setting that is conducive with creativity, uh, with patience, uh, with support? So think about where you're going to do that. Um, You know, I made the mistake of doing a lot of work from home and then that blurs the boundaries between, you know, being off, as it were, and being on. So I urge people to find physical spaces that can inspire them and also give them boundaries. Because once you get obsessed with an idea or a project, it can take over. And it's lovely in some senses, but it can be damaging in others. The second thing I would say is you don't have to do anything alone in this world. There's that lovely saying, I can't remember who said it, so you'll have to credit them. But, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. Um, If you want to go far, go together. Um, So there's no point reinventing the wheel for things. There'll be people out there who are desperate to help and mentor you. So find people who you want to become like um, or find people that you know will support the things you're wanting to do. Uh, Because sometimes family and friends can be a bit like, oh, why are you doing that? Or they don't get it like that's okay. Not everyone has to get you or get your dream or get your vision. But there will be groups of people out there um, who are willing to, like, help you with open arms. So early on, find your tribe of people that can support you and search and look for mentors. Uh, These can be informal. These can be formal. And depending on what you're trying to create or do, um, look out there. There's brilliant kind of, you know, there's things like meetups. Um, which you can look online. There's lots of events you can go to if you look on Eventbrite and just search under the category that you're, you know, you're wanting to create a business about. Uh, there's apps like Shaper uh, that can hook you up with people who want to do similar things to you. So go and find um, go and find your tribe. Um, and then the third thing is to create kind of goals. And we always talk about smart goals, so specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time bound, and they're great. But they can also be really um, defeating sometimes. So I always try and encourage people to make process driven goals, not just outcome driven goals. So by that, it's not like, right, my outcome would be I want to run a marathon in, you know, sub three hours or something, right? Now, if I don't achieve that, I'm going to feel like I've failed. Whereas if I've actually said, right, I'm going to run every day for whatever, one hour, um, that's a process. So that's an action that I have control of. I don't have control over the outcome of running, potentially running that three-hour marathon, but I do have control over the effort and the actions that I put in towards it so that, that boils down to business as well or any ideas so I'd, I'd say make some really good action um, and process driven goals they'd be like the three things I'd say um, have helped me so environment people you hang out with and the type of goals that you create
0: that's really interesting um, I think yeah it's um, it's definitely important to um, have the the process driven goals because then you're not you won't like you say like you say beat yourself up. If you don't actually achieve that goal, you can just carry on growing and growing um, to that next step.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of the world and I do it and I'm sure you do as well, Adam. I often say I'll be happy when I'll be happy if Um, and actually by having those process goals, you can be happy while you're doing it because you're achieving those goals that you you have complete control over doing. And and every little micro goal or or step that you can achieve, so I can, I I have full control to run for an hour. How long I run maybe, you know, how far I run might be different, but I know I can run for an hour. Um, then, Then that feels amazing when I've done it. I've done that goal, I've done that action. And every positive action, um, spurs on another one it's like a snowball effect whereas if you don't hit the outcome goal you can feel deflated and it, and it promotes kind of yo-yoing of our success if you like so oh cool I've, I've done my I've done my marathon now great I'll go and eat junk food and you know go boozing for next week it creates yo-yos and it's the same with any kind of yeah those yo-yo goals are are the outcome goals create yo-yo kind of actions whereas your action orientated goals create consistency and at the end of the day if we actually think about what does success look like it's consistently doing the things that make you happy
0: yeah it's um <clears throat> I actually laughed when you uh, when you said I probably do it too at the start there um and it uh, you know I I, I did um and I still do it occasionally now I will set myself a goal and I will beat myself up about it a little bit but I used to do it a lot. Um, actually, at the start of my training, I, you know, I'd, I'd say to myself, I'd be happy when I got, you know, when if I put two kilo on of muscle, if I lost this amount of weight, I'd be happy when I achieve that. Um, and over time, I've just realised that it doesn't make me happy at all. The actual feeling that makes me happy about training is having the ability to train and just feel he- healthy yeah. and that is that's 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 the goal right there and since I've had my mindset driven like that um it's whatever happens in the future happens you know and it's, it, it's all going the right way luckily enough but it's it's it is that mindset of just having you know the ability to appreciate the the, the moment instead of instead of the end goal absolutely
1: absolutely and you know this I think for me this is the biggest lesson if I could sum it up in one sentence is like I used to be quite like victimy so I used to blame everyone else around me if stuff went wrong I certainly did that in my PhD that's why I kind of said it was a, a big personal feat and I'd play the violin and be like you know why can't that person do this or why can't that person or why did that you know and actually I have no control over the way you respond to me, Adam. I, I have no control over the way a client responds to me. I have no control over the way a horse responds to me. All I have control over is my reactions to the world. And I don't want to react anymore. I want to respond. So I want to think about it. I want to be considered and I want to be um, kind to myself and whoever I'm responding to. Um, and and that was a massive lesson. Like, you know, you you... Just worry about the things that you can control and try and just let go of everything else you can't. I know that's easier said than done because I'm a people pleaser. So I always worry about what people think. But at the end of the day, some people are going to like me and some people aren't. And actually, the opinions of others are none of my business.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So obviously, we we, we spoke before about um about the fear. Um, Now, people are going to need... Um, to build up their confidence to get over this fear. Um, are there any tips you could give uh, our audience for for building their confidence?
1: So I can give a personal one, um, but I think you could translate it to lots of other things. Um, after my first bout of depression, I I had withdrawn from all social like gatherings. I hadn't called a friend for a very long time. I had become so underconfident in my ability to like be a friend and be a communicator and be a support and a huge part of my identity is is helping others like that's what a huge part of my identity was and I suppose in some senses still is um so I my confidence was like below the floor and I randomly one day was walking past um my local pub and in the window was an advert for come and try circus skills and okay, I did loads of gymnastics as a kid, but I, I'm in my thirties now, and you know the thought of like hanging off a hoop or a trapeze filled me with absolute fear. And I just said to myself there and then, why not? It's literally around the corner from my house. I, I wasn't leaving the house very much because I was, yeah, I was just in a very bad place. But thank the Lord for dogs. I had my dog at the time, and he was the thing that got me out the house every day. So I did go out the house twice a day, only because I had the dog. Um, And so I took myself off to this class and, oh, my word, what a wonderful thing to do. Now, the story in this story is not the fact that I did circus. It's the fact that I did something that I was a complete beginner at. And when you're a complete beginner, you drop all your um, defences about having to be good, um, about, you know, about being right, um, about... uh, yeah about about all those things and it makes you more confident being a beginner again actually makes you confident because you face failure in a different way uh, you don't mind making mistakes or falling off the trapeze as i did many many times um I got stronger physically and mentally because I was essentially lifting my own body weight for two hours every week. Um, and I met new people who didn't know my history. I didn't have to explain. I was depressed. They just thought I was a quiet girl. Um, and it was it was just wonderful. So I think for anyone doing anything, go and do something completely brand new with a brand new group of people and let yourself be the beginner because it will build your confidence like you you won't realize um and it will allow you to bring that curiosity and that um and and diminish that fear of failure in other areas of your life as well as you're learning that new thing
0: yeah, that's some fantastic advice. Um, I can I can second that as well because I, I did mine through martial arts, and you know my my first time in that class, you know you walk into a classroom and there's black belts there, there's red belts, blue belts, and you're walking in with no belts. and um, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just absolute fear. You just want to run out the door because you don't want to be there. You think everyone's looking at you, they're staring. You don't have a clue what's going on. But then I actually I was speaking to someone there um one of the other students who was, um, you know, obviously a bit further along. And they actually said, you know, just look at all the other guys in here. They all started where where you are. And that made me think, wow, OK, so everyone started here. They know exactly what this feels like. They know the position I'm in at the minute. And that just almost sort of cleared my mind a little bit and took some of the pressure off.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a lovely reminder, isn't it? Everyone you look up to, you think, oh, I could never be like that. They were once a beginner. Everyone. No one is born like, you know, no one is born a genius or um, a skilled athlete or a skilled scientist. No one. They have to develop that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about as well um, is you've um, actually studied uh, gut health. Um, I just want to talk about how um, this impacts uh, mental health and um, do you think people will see a difference if they change their diet?
1: Yeah, so I'll put a caveat in now. I studied this a long, well, over five years ago now and I know that the the field has moved forward. So I'm going to give you some like themes, but if people want to read more about the current practice, then um, yeah, probably best to go and consult the... um, the, the, the latest research papers or to look at um, the summaries that come out of Nature, which is a, a very, very good publication, which often has brilliant stuff on, on the gut um, and its influence on health. But yes, there is um, a huge body of evidence to say that there is a very intricate and um, a developed kind of gut-brain axis um so kind of how we think affects our gut and and what we have in our gut affects our mind um and they've done some amazing studies in animals actually transposing so taking you know the the gut from a um a risk-taking mouse into an introverted mouse and vice versa and doing those things actually changes behavior so our gut has neuroactive um, abilities to change what we do. Uh, the same is through, The same is true um, of of people who suffer from from lower mental moods as well. And the same is true um, of obese versus um, thin mammals as well. So they they've given you know genetically thin mice, fat mice microbiome so giving them fecal transplant if you like and and hey presto they change their phenotype the skinny one becomes fat and the fat becomes skinny so we don't understand exactly the mechanisms of how all of this works but we do know that there are really clear links so it makes complete and utter sense that we think carefully about what we eat and why we eat it um and there's lots of evidence to suggest that you know having a good diverse gut bacterial load so the families and species of gut uh, bacteria that live in our guts if they're nice and diverse that really really helps Uh, and that is supported by having a nice and diverse fresh you know diet that is full of fiber um, and full of um yeah full of of diversity in what we eat so um those things for sure are, are things to Certainly think about as, as a person and just be aware that there's all these little marginal gains we can we can create in our life or or marginal diminishing things. If you think about me in the last week and what I've eaten. Um, yeah, you, you very much you are what you eat. It's 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 very true.
0: Yeah, I um I notice a big difference. You know, if, if I have enough week and I'm eating stuff that I wouldn't usually eat, maybe you know a bit of junk food occasionally i'm only human so you know i have to eat things sometimes for convenience and i do actually see a, a total difference in in my mood my energy levels just completely drop and i'm i just i just yeah i'm i'm not as focused as i usually am um and i can i can definitely tell the difference i actually read a book um called the clever guts diet by dr michael mosley um, I don't know if you've read that Ebony, but it's um, yeah, it's it's an incredible book, um, and he he talks about the microbiome and how important that is and how uh, diverse it is. We've got all these different uh, microorganisms in there, which we get from bacteria from, from eating our food, um, and he he says um, you know that the more diverse our microbiome is, uh, the, the healthier we, we, we become
1: and as we age we have to be careful of that because i think it becomes less diverse so you know you've got to change your habits as you as you move through life because you know what a kid and a teenager needs and what i need is going to be very different and what i need now and what i need at 80 might be different as well so it's an evolving space and an aging space just like like us but essentially we are more bacteria than we are human we have more bacteria genetics in us than we do human so it's it 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 really is important. It's not just the gut microbiome. You've got to think about your skin as well. Your skin, our protective big barrier all over us is full of, of also very useful bacteria that we can we can look after. So just as you know, you are what you eat, you've always got to be careful about what you actually put on your skin and and the pollution levels of which you exist in, etc. So oh, I think it's fascinating. And another great book for any of your listeners as well is a book called Gut by Juliana Enders, and it's so good. Whether you're a scientist or you're a lay person, you will get a lot out of that book. In fact, my team and I at Imperial were like, "Damn, we wish we'd written this book because it was um, it was great, it was absolutely great." It's like this is what we're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really good book.
0: Okay, so um, if our audience could take away one thing from this conversation, um, what would it be?
1: Stay curious, because staying curious stops us being judgmental and opinionated in a highly judgmental and opinionated world at the moment. Staying curious um, makes you more kind to the people around you and to yourself. Staying curious allows you to experiment and fail and fail safely and acceptingly. And I think curiosity more than anything actually keeps life fun like we spend a lot of life being serious um and having just finished a wonderful book called the top five regrets of the dying um you know when we're lying on a deathbed we don't wish we'd worked harder we wish we'd lived authentically true to who we are we wish we'd hung out with people that we loved more um so i think i think here, if you, if you can think of ways just to channel curiosity every day uh, i think you will lead um a richer and a kinder life
0: that's amazing ebony thank you so much for talking to us today it's been amazing to catch up with you um and i wish you all the best with everything you're doing in the future you've got got a lot coming your way um so i wish you all the best
1: oh well thank you so much and it's been so nice to reconnect with you after all those years my first ever job listeners i worked with adam in in north wales you did um and it's (laughs) It's been really lovely to connect over the airwaves. And I hope next time I'm at home in Wales, I'll come and see you.
0: Yeah, I'd be more than up for that. Uh, I'll be happy to come down anytime.
1: Super. Love it.
0: Ebony, thanks very much. Thank you for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you enjoy the Body, Power, Mind podcast, please share it around with your friends and family members and give them the tools to transform their life as well. My name is Adam Robinson, and this is Body, Power, Mind.